So, Mark. Yeah? The movies are back. The movies are back. And you and I have finally been back to the movies. I know, very exciting. Yes, not to see the movie that we are discussing today. I saw it in theaters, you saw it on your couch. I did. I could not gather the energy to watch this movie in theaters, and I think I proved myself right within two minutes of this movie starting. Okay, this was my first full house since the movies came back. Why? Every seat was occupied, and at the end of the movie, the audience applauded. Are you serious? I kid you not. No. They clapped. No. How? It's I was, so bad. I was bewildered because I spent a decent chunk of the movie trying not to laugh out loud at things that were not supposed to be funny. And it didn't feel like the audience was laughing a lot at the things that were supposed to be funny. So maybe they just connected really strongly to the emotional story of bad dad LeBron James. That or uh, as soon as one person starts, you yeah. automatically kind of just start clapping. Yeah. And of course, like... I think there were probably a decent number of people in that theater for whom this was their first movie back, and I am glad they felt the impetus to clap instead of being like, maybe movies aren't worth it. Yeah. After you pay the ticket price for the first time, you're kind of just in. I think no matter what the movie is, part of you is just on board. Right. And I have yet to have a bad time back at the movies because I just love being at the movies and I went so long without it. But this was my worst time I was going to say, this probably pushed you a little bit, didn't it? It was an experience, but I wanted to ask you just to kick things off, like, what are some 2021 movies that you have seen and really loved? So, we got a chance to see The Summer of Soul at AFI as part of their documentary film festival, and that movie was one of the best documentaries I've seen in a while. I say that as someone who hasn't watched a lot of documentaries, let's be clear. But it was very good. I enjoyed every minute of it. We got to see a talkback over Zoom after that was really good. This is Questlove's documentary about the Harlem Cultural Festival, uh, sometimes called Black Woodstock. It's this series of concerts featuring black artists of a variety of genres in the middle of New York City in the 1960s. I loved how much time they gave to just showing the performances. They have very long stretches of just the concert, which I wasn't expecting. I thought there would be much more talking about it, so I really enjoyed that. The talking heads were great. They even talked to some performers who were at the concert, and it's streaming on Hulu now. Yeah, it is a really special movie. They filmed the entire event and then did nothing with the footage until this movie came out 50 years later, and it is just an incredible thing to watch. And then, of course, shout out to the first movie... We saw together, back in theaters, F9, The Furious Saga. The Fast Saga. Mark, it's like you no. haven't seen any of these movies. Wait, it's th- I thought it was The Furious Saga. No, it's The Fast Saga. Oh, that's so dumb. Your status as a member of the family is in question. The worst part about these movies is their titles, because they kind of <laughs> painted themselves into a corner, not expecting there to be nine of them. I say that having seen none of the other ones, but this movie was a delight. I don't know how I could have had more fun at the movie theaters than watching this movie. Incredible. Charlize Theron shows up, says something racist within the first, like, 30 <laughs> seconds, and you're just like, what? What? You're sa- Are you suggesting that the Toretto's have always been a mixed breed? That was so uncomfortable. (laughs) It's bananas. But I feel like the problem is I just answered the questions in my head with it's probably explained in the previous movies. But based off of what Josh was saying, sounds like it's not. Yeah. Look, here's the thing. We went into F9 having seen no other Fast and Furious movies. And while there was definitely stuff that we missed, the movie was comprehensible. And I commend it for that. Yeah, I it did a great job of me not feeling lost at all. The plot of the movie is very contained. You know exactly what's happening. I didn't realize that this was John Cena's first appearance at first. So that was a fun surprise that I got to be involved in. But yeah, that was a whole lot of fun. A movie that we would not have gone to see if not for the pandemic. Yeah. I gotta say, the cultural commentary on the Fast and the Furious saga is starting to wear me down to the point where I may have been interested, because everyone loves these movies. But I probably would have not gone in having seen none of the previous eight. Yeah! It's just, go into the movies. Go into the movies is great. 
And then I have also seen Zola in theaters and enjoyed that a lot, too. I thought you had seen Zola, adapted, of course, from a Twitter thread. Yes, the first Twitter thread to movie, but I doubt it will be the last. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of, like, what are the other big Twitter threads that would be adapted? I don't know. Like, that that dude who whose parents gave him $100,000 and he resents them now? That sounds like an Adam McKay movie in the making. Oh, no. Although, I gotta say, Adam McKay has a movie coming out this year that sounds interesting. What is it? It's like Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio are scientists who realize that, like, an asteroid is coming or something. So the premise is like Armageddon, except nobody believes them. Ah, that sounds kind of fun. Right? And it's not about evil people yet <laughs> right. that we know of. Real-life right. evil people. So far, he is not explaining recent history that everyone already knows. That's good. I think the big short was a lot of complicated financials. I haven't seen it, so I understand the impulse to explain. But almost everyone who went and saw Vice was alive for this stuff and didn't need nearly as much explanation as they gave. I could rant about Vice all day. (laughs) It is a rancid pile of poop. So what is your top movie of 2021 so far? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I, I have seen a lot of movies this year. I haven't seen a ton that I loved, loved, but I... Like I said, I have been enjoying going to the movies a lot. One of my favorite theater-going experiences was to see Together Together. I don't think I know this one. Oh, is this the Ed Helms, Patty Harrison movie? Yeah. No. Yes? Yes, it is. Oh, I did it. So one of my fun things in film this year was that because of the pandemic, I was able to virtually attend the Sundance Film Festival, which was a blast, especially because... A snowstorm hit DC right as that was going on, so I got a couple of days off school so I could really just sit around and watch movies imagining that I was in Park City. I was not able to see Together Together at Sundance because it was sold out, but I saw it during its very brief theatrical run. And it's a lot of fun. It's about Ed Helms as an Ed Helms-aged guy who's like, you know what? I've wanted to be a dad. My romantic prospects are nil. I'm going to get a surrogate. So he hires Patty Harrison, and the whole movie is about their very particular relationship during the period of her pregnancy. And it's very lovely, and it's also quite funny. Both of them are very funny. So I am interested. I thought about going to see it, but I uh, don't remember why I didn't see it. Let's be real. Part of it is having a dog with severe separation anxiety. (laughs) I mean, that's that's what happens when you got a dog during COVID. Yeah, we're working on it. We're getting there. She's up to 10 minutes alone. That is like a Looney Tunes episode. I mean, it's also good because I could probably run to a CVS with Nick out of the house now. Oh, well, that is good. Um, Yeah, so Together Together is probably my favorite thing I've seen this year. I also really liked Zola, especially Coleman Domingo's performance as Mr. X. Uh, I also have to say, shout out to Zola for being 87 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) Following our advice that movies can be shorter, which today's movies... Did not. Yeah, this movie is 30 minutes longer than its predecessor, and that was a mistake. Anyway, uh, some other movies that I really liked. You know what's good? In the Heights. Is that still playing? I should try and go see that. It is still playing in theaters. It is no longer on HBO Max. Okay. I assume it'll come back to HBO Max at some point. At some point, yeah. Tom and Jerry's back on, so things are coming back. I did see Tom and Jerry. It's not good. (laughs) I did see someone tweet that said, I'm an adult with HBO Max, which means I can now watch the Tom and Jerry movie at any moment let's be clear i'm an adult with hbo max which means i watched the tom and jerry movie the day it came out on hbo max Ugh, i had so little interest in that one the weird thing about the warner brothers hbo max thing is that except for the conjuring three i have seen every warner brothers movie this year well i feel like you are the prime target audience of today's film then aren't you <laughs> i suppose so but i didn't see any characters from the little things sitting courtside there were a lot of very strange characters sitting courtside. Yes, we'll get into that. Other movies I want to shout out. Actually, also on HBO Max, Steven Soderbergh's new movie, No Sudden Move, Rules. It is a crime movie set in 50s Detroit, starring Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro. And it starts off like pretty small scale. Brendan Fraser hires them to work with Kieran Culkin on a simple robbery. But then things spiral in some sort of frantic directions for Cheadle and Del Toro. 
and also in more and more consequential directions for the city of Detroit. It's a mm-hmm. lot of fun, a lot of great performances in there. It's Steven Soderbergh. That actually sounds very interesting. Good cast. It's great. It's called No Sudden Move. Um, I haven't even gotten into everyone who's in the great cast. Julia Fox is there. Amy Simons is great. David Harbour plays the guy that they're robbing. It is amazing how many things connect back to today's movie. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, the other, wow, I just watched a lot of, like, HBO's been distributing 2021 movies. Just at the start of July, they got their hands on Shiva Baby, which was at South by Southwest and Toronto last year, um, and is finally easily accessible to people. And that is a good, kind of stressful, but short, Mark, I know that works for you, under 90 minutes. Um, it's a movie entirely set at a Shiva, focused on a young woman, she's probably like 22, who... It's trying to navigate the Shiva of someone she did not really know, but she's there with her parents. And while there, she encounters her ex-girlfriend and her sugar daddy. Honestly, I read the plot summary and I was interested and also knew that it might be too uncomfortable for me. It is quite stressful, but it is short. Yeah, I just, the awkwardness potential of that situation felt really pushing it. So maybe, maybe. I have to be in a really good mood beforehand because I will be cringing the whole time. Uh, one last shout out. Have you watched the Mitchells versus the Machines? No. Is it good? It is. Oh. That's honestly, Netflix animation has done absolutely nothing to stand out. It was not produced by Netflix. Oh, it wasn't. It was just... It's a Sony movie. Um, I think at one point it was marketed. When I saw Onward in theaters two days before I started teaching from home... I saw a commercial for it when it was then called, like, Connected or something like that. Um, But then, pandemic, Sony sold it to Netflix. Okay. My hopes were low, because so far, all I know about Netflix animation is they had made a TV show for every DreamWorks movie. Technically, DreamWorks made those shows. Netflix just distributed them. I blame Netflix. Yeah, Mitchells vs. Machines is very cute, kind of anarchic. It's produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who are the guys behind the Lego movie and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and Into the Spider-Verse. And like Spider-Verse, there's an interesting mix of animation styles in it. I do enjoy the mixing of animation styles. Yeah. That I feel started very much with SpongeBob and other shows of that era doing the cutaway gags and different styles of animation. Yeah, that's, that's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. I'm not saying they invented the medium. I'm just saying that is probably where our first exposure came from. Sure, and a lot of the animators who are doing it now mm-hmm. grew up on Spongebob. Can you believe how old Spongebob is? And now Patrick has a spin-off TV show. I did not know that Patrick had a spin-off TV show. I think it's on Paramount Plus. I was about to ask. And I think it might be a talk show hosted by Patrick. I mean, that's a thing that's been happening. You, you know, Elmo has a talk show on HBO Max. Yeah, I don't know why we're trying to make kids get super into talk shows. Someone decided it was the way to save the medium. Yeah, and save money, probably. Yeah, it's a cheap format. Wow. Uh, Paramount Plus, it didn't break me yet. I thought All-Star 6 would get me, but the Twitter discourse on that has been very low, which leads me to believe that other people also did not shell out the money, and I feel less interested in it. Yeah, I feel like at some point Paramount Plus will get me, but that day hasn't happened yet. Yeah, once I start reading if Evil Season 2 is worth it, maybe I'll consider it. It's the thing for me of, like, I think Netflix's library is mostly crap these days, but they put out enough, like, high-quality movies by, like, really good filmmakers, you know, like, five times a year, that I'm like, all right, I want to be able to watch these. And, like, at some point, I assume Paramount Plus will start doing something similar, and then I'll feel compelled. But that hasn't happened yet. We've just got Mark Wahlberg movies. I saw a Mark Wahlberg movie trailer that's, like, oh, his gay be. son committed suicide and now he's, like, walking across America curing homophobia. And yeah. I was kind of just like, why do we need a movie about the father of a depressed gay son? Why are we focusing on Mark Wahlberg in this situation? So, I could be wrong. I think it is based on a real guy. Okay. Um. Yeah, it was maybe at Toronto last year. I remember reading about it during its festival premiere, but... It's a weird movie, it seems. It looks odd. I don't know. Too much Mark Wahlberg. On that note, what are you excited about movie-wise for the rest of the year? Um, well, I guess by the time this comes out, it will probably have been released. This episode comes out tomorrow. 
Oh, never mind. I'm so used to recording in advance. Uh, I am very excited for the release of The Green Knight in two weeks. That looks like it's going to be great. I have read the poem in class and really enjoyed it. And I'm hoping there's as much man-on-man kissing in the movie as there is in the poem from the 1300s. We talked about being hyped about The Green Knight years ago after its trailer came out. Yeah. What a time. Look, it's got Dev Patel as a hot medieval knight. There's a tree dude. Alicia Vikander as a hot medieval lady. A talking fox. It looks great. Some giants for some reason? That's not in the poem. I'm hyped. It looks great. Also coming up this year, we got Dune. I was going to say, Dune is happening. I don't know what else is coming. A lot of the trailers for the movies before F9 and Zola looked interesting but nothing too appealing yet in trailer world i'm intrigued by the eyes of tammy faye i haven't seen that trailer yet okay uh well if you want to hear jessica chastain and andrew garfield do some southern accents i recommend that trailer uh escape room 2 i thought you would be intrigued by didn't you like the first one i did not see the first one i meant to but it was gone by the time i looked for it ah yes but yeah Eyes of Tammy Faye seems compelling. The thing that I'm really excited about, besides, like, your big big ticket, like, Dune and West Side Story and all that, is Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth. It's a new adaptation from Shakespeare starring Denzel Washington as Macbeth and Frances McDormand as Lady Macbeth, and I am in. That does sound very intriguing. Uh, we haven't heard anything about that for a while, but they finished shooting it before the pandemic, so I assume it'll, like, premiere at TIFF and come out in November. I can't wait to see Frances McDormand's period-appropriate coveralls. <laughs> oh, her medieval denim coveralls. Speaking of great genre people, we, in a recent episode of this podcast, I can't remember if it was in the past or the future, uh, we talked about Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, his dark circus movie with Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett. Ah, yeah. That's coming out soon, isn't it? Yeah, in, in the fall at some point. I, what is time? Yesterday, it was January, so soon is becoming very appropriate for anything happening this year. But yeah, it's the kind of thing of, there's been some good stuff this year, and there's a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I kind of had a feeling that the back half of 2021 would be the much more exciting half of the year. Yes, because, uh, you know, God willing, we make progress with the pandemic and don't have escalation with Delta and all that. More than has already happened. And we're able to keep going to the movies. Fingers crossed. I love also, going to the movies. You know, we got vaccinated and you should too. Yes. If you're not vaccinated, please do everyone around you a favor, if not for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Don't be stupid. Get a vaccine. Much like LeBron James in this movie, you need to take a shot. Oh, God. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm disappointed in that segue. And I'm Will and Diamond Ginger. This is an investigative podcast committed to examining the most important question facing us today. What studio made this movie? I hate you. This episode is going to be painful, isn't it? I'll say this. The audience may have clapped at the end of the movie, but I sat through all the credits, and the much smaller group that was there at the end, when the Warner Brothers logo came up after the credits rolled, And I said out loud, sorry, what studio made this movie? Most of the people who remained laughed at that. Well, good for you, Will. The people love me. Uh, sure. What's the actual question we're investigating today, Will? Oh, uh, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable or even characters in a movie? (laughs) Or just crash test dummies? That's the vibe I was getting. I don't think the crash test dummies were in the audience, but I would believe it. Oh, weren't those Geico commercials? I was thinking of the band. I don't know who that... Oh, yeah. I was thinking about those Geico commercials where they tried to introduce another character. I was gonna say, how many Geico mascots do I have to keep track of? I think I gave up after the camel. There was a camel? Yes, there was a camel. Oh, but the camel was a one-off. No, he was in multiple commercials. Was he? I only remember the one. The craziest thing about Geico characters is that they tried to spin the cavemen into a sitcom. Do you want to do a spin-off podcast series about every individual Geico mascot? (laughs) No, but someone should. I would listen to it. And I would listen to a 10-episode miniseries just on the pile of money with eyes. 
Well, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, which is a good thing for us, uh, and we will dig into it. This week, as we have repeatedly alluded to, we are covering a new release, Space Jam A New Legacy, the long-delayed revival of the Looney Tunes team-up-with-an-athlete genre. This movie was utter garbage from start to finish, except for Don Cheadle. Yeah, let's be clear, it's not good. So my problem, Mark, is I watched this movie the same day I watched No Sudden Move. So I watched Don Cheadle give an incredible performance in 50s Detroit as a small-time criminal just trying to get out. And then I watched him in this, and I'm like, look, Don Cheadle's had a lot of practice acting with green screens, but it is not the same as watching him act with humans. I thought that he was the most entertaining part of this movie. Because he is just going hard in a way that is intriguing. So I did enjoy just watching him be absolutely unhinged in front of a green screen with a floating computer for no reason. Again, it's the thing of like, he has had practice with this. He's been in the Marvel trenches for like a decade. He knows what he's doing. But God, this movie could not have justified its existence less. Yeah. So I think to kick things off, like... What is your relationship with the original Space Jam? I watched it as, like, a kid, and I liked the song, but it held no special place in my heart or anything, so I have no nostalgia towards it. I listened to the How Did This Get Made episode about it and realized that I would hate it if I rewatched it. It is worth a rewatch, I think. Um, I rewatched it two weeks ago. It is quite a bit shorter. It's, like, 86 minutes or something like that which is a major saving grace relative to this movie. And it is just a very particular artifact. Uh, It is one of those rare movies, like the Geico Caveman TV show, that is based on a series of commercials, a series of commercials that combine the Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan. And so the movie then is directed by Joe Picca, a commercial director, and it is just a nakedly commercial endeavor. It is the meeting of two brands, the Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan, in order to sell merchandise. And that works because that's the era of the Looney Tunes being on your jean jacket, and it's the era of Michael Jordan being everywhere. Like, beyond being the best basketball player, he had this level of cultural ubiquity. He was just inescapable. You did not have to be watching basketball to be able to recognize Michael Jordan on sight. And I think one of the issues that Space Jam A New Legacy faces is that while I agree LeBron is one of the best ever to play the game, I don't believe that people who do not follow basketball, on average, can recognize LeBron on sight. I don't know if it's true of any basketball player to the level it was true of Michael Jordan. Right, that's the thing. So this movie is left over and over again, to a comical degree, saying out loud, oh, that's LeBron, he's one of the best uh, ever to play. It's weird how often they just talk about how good he is at basketball. I feel like... That should be understood. You shouldn't need to be talking about it. And in Space Jam 96, it is understood. They just say, that's Michael Jordan, and everyone knows what that means. I mean, if you say, that's Michael Jordan today, everyone knows what that means. You are good at basketball. Right. That's the thing. And, you know, there's a lot of discourse among, like, NBA viewers about, like, who's better, LeBron or Jordan. And... You can't help feel like this movie is a, is a part of that conversation for LeBron. Where like, all right, you know, he's won these championships in different cities. Everyone agrees he's one of the best to play the game. Jordan also had a Space Jam. Now LeBron has a Space Jam. It feels like it's a part of that. It does. But I don't think anyone will match Michael Jordan. No. Because I don't think even the shoe brand, anyone will have a level of shoe recognition like right, the and Air you need Jordans. the shoes to be like Mike. You do need the shoes to be like Mike, and you need the soft cotton undershirts to be like Michael Jordan <laughs> today. <laughs> now, to be fair, like, I mentioned this, like, long-delayed revival of the genre. The original Space Jam was a, a major cultural moment for people our age, where the soundtrack was huge, the movie was huge, the movie's not good, but it connected deeply with the youths. The song is good, though. Yeah. And so there was talk of just making a Space Jam 2 in the 90s with Joe Pickett directing, but Michael Jordan never signed on to do it, so obviously it never happened. They then put a bunch of different projects in development. Like, there was going to be a race jam with Jeff Gordon, so like a NASCAR. 
Space Jam. You should not call something the Race Jam. <laughs> yeah, well, look, if they would have workshopped it, they might have come up with something else. <laughs> That's just so terrible. There was talk about doing a Spy Jam with Jackie Chan, so it'd be Jackie Chan and the Looney Tunes. Both of those movies were scrapped, and a lot of those elements were folded into Looney Tunes Back in Action. And when Looney Tunes Back in Action flopped, Warner Brothers was like, we're not developing any more Looney Tunes movies, including the one that we, like, recently signed a deal for, Skate Jam, starring Tony Hawk. That sounds fascinating. Right? I won't say it sounds good. I won't say it would be entertaining, but it would be such a distillation of a very specific cultural moment. I mean, which is what the original Space Jam is, too, and in a, like, cancerous way is what Space Jam A New Legacy is. God, this movie pissed me off! We actually found out about Skate Jam from Tony Hawk on Twitter, who, like, years later tweeted out, like, a concept image he had been given during the meetings, where he's like, yeah, I met with Warner Brothers to make Skate Jam, and then, like, the next day Looney Tunes Back in Action came out. I think I watched Looney Tunes Back in Action. Oh, I saw it in theaters. I've since heard some okay things about it. I remember nothing except that they go to a casino. I remember Brendan Fraser is in it. End of story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, this movie really got into development again in 2014. And initially, Justin Lin was attached to direct it. Um, He left and then Terrence Nance came on with Ryan Coogler as a producer. And Terrence Nance developed the movie to the point that he actually oversaw a month of filming before quitting over what was described in the press as different takes on the creative vision. And I can only imagine why someone might have a different take from Warner Brothers on the creative vision of Space Jam A New Legacy. And I'm guessing the different take was this movie not being a commercial for Warner Brothers. I don't know how anyone could handle dealing with that element of it. The bizarre thing about Space Jam A New Legacy, which we keep kind of talking around, is that the villain of the movie is Don Cheadle, who is playing the algorithm at Warner Brothers. And yet, this movie was designed by a machine primarily to advertise other Warner Brothers properties. And the strangest thing is they're advertising some children's properties, but the main focus is on the R-rated stuff. Right, there are extended sequences in The Matrix, Austin Powers, Casablanca, like all the movies your kids love. I was just thrown completely by how little attention is paid to the children's side of things, besides a brief moment in Harry Potter world. I mean, very brief. I wonder if they cut down the Harry Potter stuff once all the turf stuff was happening. But here's the thing, too, where, like, you know, Terrence Nance filmed a scene where Pepe Le Pew flirts with a bartender at Rick's in Casablanca. And Malcolm D. Lee said he cut the scene because Pepe Le Pew is kind of a skeezy dude. And like, fine, all right. However, you, you did include War Boys from Mad Max, Droogs from A Clockwork Orange, and Game of Thrones, all of which are much more sexually aggressive than anything Pepe Le Pew ever did. Speaking of Game of Thrones, why are the White Walkers so low quality? In the audience. Yeah, you'd think they have some high-quality renders of them just lying around. It's just some dudes in bad blue makeup. It's weird that they decided to go practical on those when they were so prominently featured in the crowd. Yeah. So, the premise of Space Jam A New Legacy is that uh, LeBron James is a business dad whose business is basketball. And... He doesn't want his kids wasting time on anything except for basketball fundamentals. So he hates video games, uh, which is what his son Dom is into. And he and his son go to take a general meeting at Warner Brothers where Sarah Silverman and Steven Yoon, who are in this one scene for some reason, then pitch them on what is effectively Seinfeld vision from 30 Rock. Yeah, it's Seinfeld vision. (laughs) Where LeBron would just be digitally inserted into different Warner Brothers IP And LeBron's like, no, that's stupid. He and his son try to leave, but instead, Don Cheadle, who plays the algorithm, sucks them into the serververse and demands that LeBron play him in basketball for his freedom, which is a weird demand to make. Feels like he could just be like, I trapped you. We don't need to make deals. But no, he wants to play basketball for the freedom. You're forgetting that his son was actually into the idea, because that's what causes him to storm off. Oh, that's right. Well, you know what? His son has bad taste. Yeah. 
True. So then Don Cheadle kicks LeBron to Looney World, and he's like, LeBron, you got a day to put together your team of Warner Brothers characters. <laughs> because what this movie does over and over again is try to make you feel like Warner Brothers is a brand that everyone has a deep connection to, and everyone keeps a little scorecard tracking which movies are Warner Brothers and which beloved characters are Warner Brothers. And look, like, I can do that to a certain extent, but, like, when LeBron and Bugs Bunny get on a spaceship and LeBron immediately starts listing off the Warner Brothers characters that would make a good basketball team, I don't believe he can do that because nobody normal can do that. Especially not someone who is shown and established in the movie to only care about basketball and not be invested in media. Right. But, and yet we're supposed to believe that LeBron knows the Iron Giant is a Warner Brothers movie. It's crazy that this came out so close to Ready Player One, where they just used the same characters. Well, here's the thing. Ready Player One, also a Warner Brothers movie. Yes. The thing, <laughs> the movie that this is actually closer to, and that is much better than this movie, is Ralph Breaks the Internet. But Ralph Breaks the Internet uses fake character. No, it does some shout-outs to real video game characters, I guess. No, you're thinking of Wreck-It Ralph. Ralph Breaks the Internet is, like, all Disney IP. Okay. I have not watched Ralph Breaks the Internet. Um, It is surprisingly good. The trailers were really heavy-handed on, like, Ralph and Vanellope are meeting Disney IP, and especially the princesses. But it's actually really strong and uses interacting with those characters to advance Ralph and Vanellope, like, and not just as, like, hey, you like this, right, in the background. (laughs) Whereas, like, there's nothing in this movie where all that other Warner Brothers IP is adding anything to what's going on. Because everyone on LeBron's team is a Looney Tune. Like, the only thing the movie is, if LeBron gets on Looney World, teams up with the Looney Tunes, and joins the game, is shorter. The movie doesn't get worse. It, like, it probably it gets probably better. better. Yeah. It said, you have this just punishing sequence where they're going around... LeBron thinks they're going to, like, recruit Warner Brothers characters. Bugs is just trying to track down the Looney Tunes. And they're going through these different Warner Brothers movies. And on the one hand, you're like, well, that's a movie that's better than this. And that's a movie that's better than this. But it's so draining to see The Matrix and Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, these, like, these works of art just cannibalize for something this craven. It's just truly painful to watch. And... I can't imagine that the directors of those movies were very amused to see this happen to their films. Anyway, Mark, I have to ask you, if you were in a LeBron James-style situation and had to, off the dome, list the four Warner Brothers characters you would draft for your basketball team, who would you pull? I mean, if you had asked me before seeing this movie, I would have been utterly unable to do this. But I think the movie itself makes a pretty strong case for all you need is Neo, Trinity, Morpheus, and Agent Smith. (laughs) You know, that is a strong argument. Were you inspired by Kronos, the time-controlling basketball player that they put in for two plays only for some reason? Well, Granny murders him. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but not until after the second play, which is like 30 minutes of game time after the first one. They were saving him for when they really needed him. Because they really did not need him at the beginning. I'm just thinking, maybe you put him in instead of the kid. Yeah. The goon squad strategy doesn't make a lot of sense. So so that's your team. Your team is the Matrix crew. Yeah, you also have a whole backup team as a- if you need to replace people because Agent Smith just repopulates. All right. I was trying to think in the spirit of Space Jam A New Legacy across some different Warner Brothers IP. Um, I do have Superman. You gotta have Superman. Like... I agree with LeBron. He's your clear number one pick. He can fly, he has heat vision, and he's the fastest there is. Number two, inspired by the Goon Squad, um, that snake lady was pretty good at moving around on the court, so I'm going to draft the Basilisk from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, who is also fast and can incapacitate the opposing team. So your plan is to just murder everyone on the other team? Yes. Um, Or maybe we, like... I negotiate with the refs, so we have, like, a fog machine running through the whole game, and maybe through the fog it'll just petrify them. Uh, I would also remind you that the snake lady on the Goon Squad team has arms. <laughs> yeah, no, the the Basilisk is just playing defense. Okay. Uh, number three, a giant from Game of Thrones, because they are aggressive enough, but also coordinated enough that I think they could handle a basketball. 
And dunking would be very easy. And last but not least. My ringer is Sidney Poitier from Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Not because he's black, but because he is explicitly designed to be a perfect man. So and he I could assume... never lose a game. He could never lose a game of basketball. You know, if the rules of the world these characters come from have to come into effect, you are correct that there's no world in which that character loses a basketball game. Exactly. Wow. Interesting choice. Will, I don't know if you know this, but Warner Brothers has another Matrix movie coming out. Oh yeah, I'm excited about that too. But I think that's why that they included so much Matrix nonsense. Okay, but then why did they include so much Austin Powers? If they actually announced that there was another Austin Powers coming up after this movie, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised. It's just so weird. Um, yeah. The thing is, look, this movie's a hit. We're recording on Sunday, so we don't have final box office numbers for the weekend. But it had a $13 million Friday, which is the biggest Friday since the pandemic, and was noticeably above predictions going into the weekend. So congratulations to Warner Brothers. You have a garbage pile hit. This movie is so soulless. That's the thing. It is an advertisement for IP, and that's kind of it. The annoying thing is at the beginning, when it's just LeBron and his sons, I actually thought that all of their performances were pretty good. Yeah. And I would watch a movie about LeBron James, bad dad, learning to be a good dad. Because I was in, I was actually pretty engaged in his relationship to his son until the Warner Brothers commercial started. Right, that's the thing. Like, LeBron's a good actor, and, I mean, he has never said this outright, but it is generally understood that one of the reasons he moved to the Lakers was so that he could be in a movie or two every once in a while. But this is not the best use of anyone's time. No, it is a bad use of every. It is a bad use of everyone's time because the kid was also doing a pretty good job. Yeah, he's trying. I gotta say, it was such a dumb joke. But whenever they said "ball" and the automatic basketball machine launched a basketball at the it. other kid's head, that was like the only time where I genuinely laughed. That is the level of joke I need in a family comedy. Yeah, just accidentally saying the wrong word and a basketball gets launched at your head. That's humor. Yeah. And I would love to know which of this movie's six credited screenwriters came up with that joke. Oof. God, I just did not care for this. It was a painful experience. It is a bad movie. It is a two-hour movie. And there are two-hour movies that I love. There are three-and-a-half-hour movies that I love. But Space Jam A New Legacy ain't worth it. A movie over 90 minutes has to justify its length. And some movies are good and justify their length. This one did not. Does that make sense? Yes. You have to justify not cutting things. Things have to be there for a reason. And none of this movie has to be there for a reason, because this movie shouldn't exist. So scrap it all. Yeah, throw it out. I guess for future Looney Tunes projects, you can keep the less sexualized Lola Bunny design. I love the Looney Tunes. That's the other problem, is it makes right, me so sad. I think the Looney Tunes get a couple of good bits in this movie. I think Granny should canonically be an alcoholic now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there are some fun animated Looney Tunes sequences. It is fun watching that go on. The 3D Looney Tunes are are heinous. I hated that. But I do love watching Looney Tunes get into shenanigans, and every so often, Looney Tunes are getting into shenanigans. Uh, Bugs Bunny does not go into drag at all in this, which is a wasted opportunity. I thought he did once, but, like, it was only for a second. Maybe. I love Bugs Bunny. Yeah, Bugs is great. You know what's on HBO Max, along with Space Jam A New Legacy? What? Just tons of Looney Tunes shorts that you can watch instead. Do you remember that documentary about trans representation I talked about? Yeah, Disclosure. Disclosure. Susan Stryker, who is one of the foremost trans scholars, says that the first time she ever saw a positive depiction of trans femininity in media is Bugs Bunny, and Bugs Bunny will always hold a special place in her heart. Because Bugs Bunny is powerful when he is dressed as a woman. That's great. Look, we all love What's Opera, Doc. So... I love the Looney Tunes. It was sad to see them used this way. The rap sequence with Porky Pig was awful. I kind of enjoyed seeing Granny swilling martinis at halftime. 
Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that wasn't was bad. A weird touch, a just weird addition to the canon of Granny, who is most famous for being the house runner of baby Looney Tunes, in my mind. Well, Granny also owns Sylvester and Tweety. Right. I mean, she is an important character, because also, I love when she was the rich widow in one short and she's just literally throwing money on the fire and it, the basket is labeled money to burn good solid joke all right mark should we talk about the abundant romance of space jam and new legacy all right this episode will be over in about 10 minutes let's go so uh just for context lebron james in real life is a married man he is a family man with according to wikipedia he has i think he has three kids uh, yes, he has three children. Now, in the film Space Jam A New Legacy, LeBron is also a family man. He's a married man with three kids, but they all have different names. Which? Than in real life. That's fair, honestly, yes. to me. But so, just to be clear, like, we are not talking about real person LeBron James and his real family when we're thinking about believability. We are talking about this character, LeBron James, who, I don't know if you know this, he's one of the best. And his fictional character family. Okay. <laughs> so... We're talking about this marriage that is not the focus of the movie. I just got to say it at the beginning. This is one of the worst depictions of the supporting wife I've seen in a movie in a long time. Well, because normally the supporting wife has more to do. She is given nothing. And I guess it kind of makes sense because he is trapped in a computer. Yeah, and it's a father-son movie. It's not a great man movie. No. All right. So point number one. Everybody get up. It's time to slam now. We got the real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Space Jam. Here's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. Camille James, LeBron's wife, played by Sinequa Martin-Green, comes out to the basketball court to get LeBron and her sons for dinner, and she kind of poo-poos his attitude on the court. Like, LeBron, why are you taking all this so seriously? Let's just go get some dinner and chill out. Let your sons have fun. Right. Which brings us to point two. Because that night, after dinner, she tells him he needs to let his sons have fun and have some casual time with his middle child, Dom, that isn't about drilling him on basketball. Like, for example, Dom made this whole video game, and you should engage with him on that. But you know what the video game is about? Basketball. basketball. But it is very pointedly, it is a video game based on basketball and not just a basketball on a computer because you can get more points for, like, power-ups and I mean trick shots and stuff like that. It's like Backyard Series... Mixed with Street Fighter basketball. Yes. So LeBron is bad at it here and because that is the game they are playing in the serververse for the second hour of this movie. <laughs> Why is the game so long? The game in this movie lasts as long as a real game of basketball. A lot more timeouts, though. And also not even called timeouts, just people stopping in the middle of the court to have a conversation and no one interferes. Okay. <laughs> Point number three. Uh, LeBron is sucked into the serververse along with Dom. During his extended stay in the serververse, he never mentions his wife, but she does go to the studio lot to look for him because he has gone for over a day. Which she is not that worried about. <laughs> yes, and she's clearly confused and concerned but she's not mad at him yeah she's a lot less panicked than i would be if i had radio silence from nick for 24 hours especially now that you know about the server verse i know oh my god if nick went to a studio and disappeared the only logical reasoning is that he was sucked into a computer there's the weird moment where even before he gets a hold of dom's insane <laughs> virtual scanning technology where Don Cheadle, a.k.a. Algie Rhythm, implies that the Warner Brothers serververse is connected to every networked device. I mean, that is one of the more plausible aspects of this, let's be real. <laughs> if you can stream a Warner Brothers property, wouldn't you then be connected to the serververse? Okay. Because it's like a window into the serververse by connecting to watch that Warner Brothers property. Which we're all doing all the time. Now, honestly, now that you bring that up, I'm astonished the words HBO Max are never said in this movie. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that the game isn't streaming specifically on HBO Max. 
But I guess that would be then used for evil. That's true. I don't know. It it feels weird. It feels weird for something so obviously craven to have been missed. Yeah, I guess there was like, they probably discussed it and they were probably along the lines of we can't have our property be used for directly evil. Or like, have it be subverted by evil. Right. HBO Max is a safe place for your family to watch stuff like Game of Thrones and and Bad Max, where people are violently assaulted regularly. Hey, it's also, honestly, a pretty good platform. (laughs) Oh, HBO Max is the best. (laughs) Christopher Nolan was wrong. I do love HBO Max. Uh, Anyway, so uh, speaking of all that, point number four... Mia and the other kids get sucked through their phone into the virtual basketball game. Now, at the game, Don Cheadle announces that he's raising the stakes. Anybody who tuned into the live stream of the LeBron versus Son video game basketball game has been sucked into the serververse as a spectator. And if LeBron and the Toon Squad win, everybody goes back home. If they lose, everybody who has been sucked in there stays in the serververse. Why does Don Cheadle want all these random people stuck in the serververse? Unclear. His motivations are never explained that well beyond getting recognition. Even stranger, when the goon squad is kicking the Looney Tunes butts, the crowd starts chanting goon squad, goon squad, goon squad, to which I say, why are you rooting for your imprisonment? I assumed that it was actually about the it was actually the Warner Brothers character side that was chanting. Does that make sense? I I suppose, but it is not clear. Cause the Warner Brothers characters are all on his side. I don't know. <laughs> I just I, look. I think that this movie doesn't entirely make sense. Nope. It's a little too busy trying to just sell you on properties. All right. Point number five. Dom defects to the Toon Squad, which is not a thing you're allowed to do in the middle of a basketball game. He helps LeBron win. They all get reverse sucked out of the phone, and they have a family group hug, which I guess means LeBron and his wife hug as part of that. That's it. And then Bugs Bunny is in real life somehow. Yes, and then Bugs Bunny, who it is implied has died, then shows up in real life. With, honestly, a pretty good explanation, in my opinion, which is he is a fictional character and thus cannot actually die because people will remember Bugs Bunny. Yes, but coming at the end of this movie, like, saying, I'm a fictional character, I will never die, feels like Warner Brothers beating its chest as being like, the IP is forever. I know. It's terrible. It's never explained why the Looney Tunes are allowed to be in real life now. All right, Mark, do you find the romance of Space Jam a new legacy believable? You know what? I do, because we're given no reason to not believe it. It's a happy marriage where they have some disagreements about raising their children, which is normal, and then there's some adventure, and then they are happy. So, sure. The least believable part is how chill she is when LeBron is missing. That is the, like, only reason I won't give this a 10. So it's a 9, right? It's a 9. Yeah, 9 out of 10 for Space Jam, A New Legacy. Do not watch it. Because maybe, maybe he's disappeared in the past because he's just playing basketball for 24 hours straight. I would believe that. But yeah, it's a 9. Okay, uh, do you think that LeBron or Kamiya is dateable? LeBron, no, because he cares about basketball a lot, and I care about basketball zero, and mostly resent it. We discussed that extensively a couple weeks ago. Yes, you all have heard the stories about why I dislike it. Uh, Nothing quite like being benched by your father. Kamiya, why not? She seems perfectly fine. She seems very, honestly, very fun. Yeah. Um, Mark, if you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? I guess Kamiya or that security guard. Well, you are, of course, less interested in Lola Bunny because of her controversial desexualization. Yeah, uh, if she had bigger tits, then maybe. It is wild that the internet had a fit about the word that, like, we are not just going to treat Lola Bunny as a sex object. I think it was Emily Vanderwerf tweeted today that if Bugs Bunny had visibly transitioned into Lola Bunny, <laughs> then the Looney Tunes would be perfect. Um, yeah. 
I'm baffled. The the funniest one was the the post that I saw going around the most, complaining about like this is how Lola Bunny should look, the way she looked originally. But it was like someone's like aggressively sexed up fan art of her. Uh, that was weird. Will, who would you date? Oh, um, I would date Stephen Yoon, who has I think one line in this movie, but he is Stephen Yoon, and that's pretty hot. Yeah, but he's a slave to the algorithm. Yeah, but I, guess- I would like get into screenings and stuff. They did cut the algorithm really fast as soon as LeBron disagreed. So, like, he and Sarah Silverman are craven, which is my problem with this movie, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I could change him. Do you think LeBron and Camille will stay together? Sure. Sure. <laughs> if they could get through this, uh, I think I have an answer to this one. Should this movie be made into a musical? Absolutely not. Hard no. This, this movie, movie should be wiped from existence. Yes. All right, I think that's about it for Space Jam A New Legacy, a movie I hope I never have to think about or discuss again. Next week, we will be covering another Warner Brothers movie that was not referenced in this one. 1942's Yankee Doodle Dandy, starring James Cagney as George M. Cohen. I, 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 brain empty, no thoughts. This movie killed me. I can't even think of something witty to say about this. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show. Uh, all right, last question. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from this movie? Hugs are nice. My advice, already be in a happy, successful marriage. (laughs) We don't get a lot here. We don't get a lot. Until next time, I'm gay and broken. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. We rapping now? We rapping? Show who you really are, notorious P.I.G. Oh, oh boy, here goes nothing. What up? It's he don't want no trouble. I was famous before the internet. Since 1935, I've been getting respect. This pig is lit. I'm super legit. Every time I'm out in public, people asking me for pics. You, nobody knows you when you walk the street. How your last name, rhythm, and you're still off beat. From the gates to the end, I'm here for all the smoke. Your squad ain't all